Let's pray. Father, God, thank you, Lord, for another day, another day to proclaim your name, another day to proclaim that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by you. And tonight, Lord, that is where our faith is. God, that is where we find our strength. That is where we find our hope. God, and I just pray, Lord, that we look at the truth of your word, God, and it reminds us, God, of where our faith exists, where our hope is. God, that we would not find it anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, tonight, tonight we simply open up your word. We listen to you. We allow you to pour truth into our hearts. God, but I pray that that truth would not go in one ear and out the other. But I pray that that truth would dwell richly in our hearts. And God, it would never leave us. God, that it would continue to convict us, that the truth would continue to change our lives as we go out of this place. And Lord, that it not only would change our life, but it would change the lives of the people around us. God, because they would see your truth dwelling within us. And God, they would see a change, a difference, something unique about us. And they would have questions about what that is. And they would wonder in their minds about why are they different. And God, it would open doors for the gospel and the truth to be poured into someone else. And that's the reason we're here tonight. So Lord Jesus, speak clearly to our hearts. God, open up our minds right now as we look at your word and we look at what you have to say to us. God, be gentle to us. Be strong with us. God, we need you. We profess before heaven and earth that we need you. God, I need you right now. So, Lord, be glorified as we seek your face, as we listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right, so we're talking about faith. Keith started us off on a new series on Hebrews chapter 11 last week, and we'll be in that series tonight. The good news is uh, we've just got one verse tonight. The bad news is I could probably preach on this one verse for about four and a half hours, five hours. I'm guessing if I really, if I really were to dig into it, we could be here for quite a while. I've got a question for you, though. I'm going to start off tonight a little bit different. Uh, be a little bit laid back, I guess you would say. Why are Christians so weird? Right? Like, that's a legitimate question, right? Why are Christians so weird? Now I'm not talking about people who go to church. Those aren't necessarily Christians. You know, you always hear the uh, old, uh, old pastors, they love to say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. You ever heard that one before? I like that. It's old and it's old school, but it's true, right? A lot of people go to church, they pretend to be Christians, they hang out around a lot of Christians, they try to act like Christians, they do what Christians do sometimes, but they're not a Christian. So what makes Christians so weird? Because really, I mean, if you think about it, the people that are in here on a Wednesday night, um, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, judge anybody's heart. I, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but typically people that will bother coming to church on a Wednesday night, it's usually because they're seeking the face of God. They have a true desire to to find out what God has to say to them, and they want truth spoken into their life. And I mean, most of the people that come to church on a Wednesday night, I believe to be Christians for the most part. So as, as Christians, let's assume for the most part, and maybe this is a bold assumption, that most of us in here are Christians. What makes us so weird? And I want you to actually answer. So you can raise your hand if you want to, or I can call you out, or whatever you want to do. Specifically our students. Why, what makes us weird? What do you think, Mark? So Mark says, let's see if I can summarize. You don't have a microphone, bro, but I'll, I'll summarize what, you, what you're saying. Mark says that the reason Christians are weird is because we don't look like the world. That he kind of, he does different stuff. He doesn't exactly do what the world does. He resists what the world does. So he doesn't look like the world. So that makes him different. Well, I mean, what else? I mean, how, how so? Let's, let's say you don't look like the world. How do you look different than the world? What do you think? Anybody? Jesus is weird. Amen to that, right? I never put my hands on anybody and like healed and I mean like Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if Jesus was weird and we're to be Christ-like, which is what a Christian is supposed to be, that's what the definition of Christian is, is to be like Christ. So if you want to be like a weird dude, people are going to think that you're weird, right? Like, I mean, that, and they did. Why did they think Jesus was weird? It's because he said stuff that was different than what they all thought, right? He said stuff that was very contrary to what they thought they knew to be true about God. So now this new guy shows up on the scene, says that he is God, and now he starts di- teaching a different truth. People would go, hey, that dude's out there. You know what I mean? Like, he, yeah, he, like, cast some demons into some pigs, and that was kind of cool, but... He teaches some weird stuff, and it's stuff we've never heard before, but he, he preaches and teaches with the authority of, it's not like what we've heard before. This guy's different. He's weird, right? So anything else? Anything else you can think of? I mean, this is open mic night here at Simple Church, I guess. Anybody got a, a thought about why us Christians are weird? We think outside of here and now. So we don't like, like, let's say that tomorrow... Your foot gets cut off for whatever reason. Like, like, I mean, your perspective is still, hey, man, I got an eternal perspective. My foot is a temporary situation, right? Now, granted, nobody wants their foot taken off. I, amen to that, right? Like, that, it's going to stink to not have a foot. I mean, like, I got you there. But, like, we don't respond the same way to negative things. We, I mean, it's, we, we look beyond just right here and right now, and we see things from a different perspective, too. So, like, when we have funerals and stuff, it's not a lot of screaming and crying and carrying on. I mean, now, we mourn, we weep, and, and we hurt when somebody dies that we love. But it's, it's different than when you have hope versus when you don't have hope, right? We look weird because they're like, dude, your mama just died. Your child just died. Your child had cancer and died when she was, you know, nine years old. I mean, like, why are you not freaking out? Well, because, you know, my hope is different, you know? My life looks different. What I see looks different. Anything else you can think of? Oh, no. We go against the grain. I don't, man. I, I'm just rolling with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so Holly says we go against the grain, that the way we think, and, and even our actions is what you basically said, it's, it's, it's different, you know. Um, we, we don't go with the flow the way most people do things. That, and, and all of this boils down to, to one thing, and, and that is faith. And that's what we're talking about tonight. So I thought I would kind of start off that way. But, you know, faith is just described in, in Hebrews chapter 11, which will back up just a little bit. And kind of start where Keith started last week and just kind of cover, since I only had like one verse, I thought I'd start and at least have like four verses. So anyway, or three verses, I should say, uh, faith is a confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us the assurance about things we cannot see through their faith The people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command and that we, uh, we now see and what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So it's all about putting our trust in something we cannot see. That in itself is pretty, pretty weird, don't you think? Like most people in this world are going to put their faith and their trust in what they can see, what they can touch, what they can hear, what they can taste, what they can smell. That's where their, their trust is because, man, that's very tangible. But a Christian puts their, their, their whole life around something they can't even see. Now, it's not just that they believe, though. It's not just believing. It's where they put their confidence. It's, I mean, like their whole life revolves around what they cannot see. It's not that they just believe it, because everybody can say, oh, I believe in God. I, I bet if you were to go around your school, your workplace, everybody just about here in the Bible Belt, you ask them, like, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. And if you were to even go so far as to say, do you love God? They're going to be like, yeah, I love God. But if you were to like, look at their life and the picture of where their, 
Their faith really is, their confidence, their hope, their trust, their dreams, is that every, everything about them, everything about their life, does it revolve around their faith in God? Does it revolve around that? I mean, is that the picture of their life in such a way that, that like everything that they think or how they process information, their hopes and their dreams and everything, does it revolve around God or is it more kind of spread out ever, over everywhere else? And specifically, we get into this thing that, 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 that we're going to talk about here in this particular passage. We're going to talk about how our faith revolves around our faith in Jesus Christ, that blood sacrifice that was made for all of us. And then you start getting all freaky when you start talking to people about, you know, your faith, your hopes, your dreams revolve around what you believe to be true about Jesus. And you're like, oh, okay, now we're changing the subject. Now we're going from talking about God to now you're like getting all crazy on me and start talking about Jesus. Now, I'm going to pick on you a little bit here. In the confines of this room, maybe in the confines of this room in this parking lot, you probably say the name of Jesus. Am I right? You might. You might say, man, we studied about Jesus today. And it was cool when Jesus put his hands, he put some mud on a dude's eyes and he could see. And man, Jesus is awesome. And you may sing praises to Jesus. Jesus' name may be in the words that you sing and, and, and all of that. And you're like, man, yeah, Jesus. How many times this week in your conversation with other people, even if they're Christians, have you used the name Jesus? Okay, I'm going to back up. Okay, okay. I, so I, I put you, in, I back you into a corner, right? So like you're like, this week, okay, Kenny, that's, that's a, a bit strong, okay? Like maybe I haven't had an opportunity to say Jesus' name this week, okay? Maybe, maybe I didn't bring up a Bible study, maybe, you know, whatever. So I, I didn't... I didn't say Jesus' name this week. Okay, fine. This month, this month, outside the confines of 310 Industrial Drive, Oxford, Alabama, 36203, outside of this address, how many times in the past month have you said the name of Jesus? Okay, look, I'm going to take it easy on you a little bit and say, all right, not just within the confines of this, this place and this address, what about at this address and you can, even, you can even include home now. So you, you can say, at home we had a conversation about Jesus. That counts, right? I'll say, yeah, that counts. Even at home, even at home, how many times have you said the name Jesus? In your conversations, how many conversations have you had in such a way that Jesus was at the center of that conversation? Probably not very many, right? Like if we went around and we could like go into everybody's databanks in their brain and pick out every single time the name of Jesus was said in the past month, whether it just outside the confines of this place, whether it be at home or at school or at work or somewhere else, the name of Jesus having been said, we'd probably come up, what do you think, across everybody, five, ten times maybe this month? I mean, that's reality, right? That's reality. You know what? I think that we have to be more diligent, more conscientious. There's a big ACT word for you. More conscientious about using the name of Jesus. If he is truly the center of everything that we believe, if he is where our hope is, if he is truly where our hope is, then we as Christians, we really got to start using that name more. We really do. And I'm even talking to Christians in this building. You know what I mean? Like most of us in here are Christ followers desiring to be Christ-like. And Christ is our hope. But we're not using that name enough. I really believe that. We're not using that name enough. Now let me tell you the downside of this. Let me tell you the downside of using that name Jesus. When you start to use that name Jesus, people are going to think you're more weird, not less weird. Okay? More than likely, that's the reason you're not using his name. More than likely, that's the reason he's not coming up in your conversations. Because we don't like to be weird, do we? We don't, I mean, like, being weird is tough. 
But like Holly says, you know what Christians do? They kind of go against the grain. Like, like Mark said, we're, we're not like the world. Like he said, that, that when, when we have something happen in this, in this world, we don't look at it from a temporary perspective. We look at it from an eternal perspective. You know what? I believe we've got to start looking more weird. You know why? Because I think, I think the people really need to know where our faith is. I think they really need to know about our faith. We talk about sharing the gospel. I mean, let's just start by saying his name. You know what I mean? Like, if we ain't even bringing Jesus up in conversation, how likely is it that you're sharing the gospel with people? Like, I, I know that we talk about sharing the gospel with people a lot in here, and, and, and we say that. Let's just start with saying his name. And, and I believe this. I, I, I honestly believe this, that you can, you can pull Jesus into any conversation. You really can. When people talk to you about, you know, the fact that your, your daughter passed away, you know, first thing I point to, Jesus. Like, man, you know what? This is how it goes usually. They'll say, how many kids you got? Well, I got two. Oh, really? How old are they? Well, here's the thing. One of them passed away. One of them passed away. I got a 14-year-old. She's about 15. She's going on 33. But, like, I got one that passed away. She'd be a graduating senior this year. Man, I'm so sorry. I hate that I even brought that up to you. It's okay. It's, it's part of our story. It's part of my testimony. Uh-oh, you done brought Jesus in there already. It's part of my testimony. It's my story of my life and how, I mean, really, how God got me through it. You see... I have a relationship with Jesus, and my daughter did too. So I have a hope that extends beyond just right here and right now. And when she died, yes, it hurt deeply. But man, I had a hope. And I have that hope because of Jesus. You can bring Jesus into any conversation. Man, we'd start, we talk about sharing the gospel with people. I think we've got to start by saying his name. I think we've got to start by acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the center of what we believe. And it's not just this ambiguous God that everybody likes to talk about. Because you could be talking about a Muslim God. The Hindus got about a thousand of them. You know what I mean? You could be talking about anybody when you say God. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's look more weird. But let's look more Christ-like. Right? Okay. So how does that relate to what we're talking about here? So all of our faith is in what we cannot see. So we're going to talk about a dude named, named Abel and his brother Cain. And y'all know the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, they're, uh, it's not a happy story. It's, it's, not, it's not the uh, um, fantasy land happy, happily ever after Cinderella story here. Um, Cain kills Abel. A brother kills his brother. The first murder happens. Not a good story necessarily, right? We've got to look at why. I want us to take a step back and look at why did Cain kill Abel. Cain's the first murderer. Why did it happen? Well, the writer of Hebrews is, is, is talking to a bunch of people that are Israelites. So they're Jewish. They come from a system where it's all about what you do. Not necessarily about what you believe, but about what you do. So in Jewish society, if you came to church, you would be like, man, I'm good. Look, I came to church, made some sacrifices, yada, yada, yada. I'm good with God. God loves me. I love God. It's all good. Now, you say that well, that sounds crazy because we know that being a Christ follower, having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's all different than that. But that's not necessarily the way the, the world believes. You do know that there's a lot of people that you go to school with, work with, interact with on a daily basis, go to Walmart with, eat at Red Lobster with, that they just believe that being a Christian is just about coming to church on Sundays. And if you're really crazy weirdo, freakazoid, psycho, you come to church on Wednesdays too. So, like, they believe that, that just, I mean, that's what, that's what good Christians do, right? Like, they, they got a Bible that they keep on the coffee table, and, and, and they, 
They, they really go all out at Christmas time, and, and they're there on Sunday. I mean, like that's, and they go on youth trips too. I mean, you are holy, holy, holy if you go on a youth trip. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you go on a youth trip, and you go all the way to Panama City Beach, man, you are a devout Christ follower. You are one of those crazy youth group kids. You know what I mean? Bible thumping, kind of crazy. I mean, like, you got a Bible with your name on it and everything. Like, you crazy if you go to Panama City with, with a bunch of other kids. Like, but that's, that's what they believe. That's what most people believe, actually. Even here in the Bible Belt, man, that's what they believe. That being a Christian is just about what you do and not what you believe. Because if it's really what you believe, then your whole life centers around it. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell these people that, that you've got to understand that these people, these Old Testament characters, what we know so well, that it was really about what they believed and not so much about what they did. See, he's trying to, trying to tell them, man, to come all the way to Christ, you can't just go to church. You have to, it has to be the central preoccupation of your life. Everything that you believe, everything that you trust has to center around Christ. And, and, and that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell these Israelite people. Man, it's not just about what you do. It's about what you believe. It's about where your faith really is. So he talks about Cain and Abel a little bit here. He goes way back. I mean, like, he doesn't quite go to Adam and Eve. He goes to their kids, right? Like, I mean, he's, he's going way, way back. We're going back to Genesis chapter 4 here. So let's read in Hebrews chapter 11, and then we'll go back to Genesis chapter 4 and see what exactly the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He says, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So the writer of Hebrews says, all right. Let's turn the pages back a little bit. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at what God's word has to say there. And we're going to read this, and then I'm going to kind of, we're going to dissect it a little bit after that. It says, now Adam, uh uh-oh. Adam had a wife, never mind. Adam had sexual relations with his wife. Yes, it's in there, y'all. You can snicker, it's all right. And she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother named Abel. So Cain came first, then Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. Nothing wrong with being a shepherd. He's taking care of sheep. While Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. So why are you angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, Then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Let's stop right there for a minute. So it says that Abel gave a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain did, right? Right? Like Abel was in charge of some sheep, and uh, I, don't, I think that's some sheep, right? It's not sheeps. That's not. Thank you, Sherry. So some sheep. I don't know what that is in Spanish, but anyway. So, um, so he's taking care of some sheep, and then he brings the firstborn to the Lord and offers it as a sacrifice. Now, now Cain, he's 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 a farmer guy. Like he digs in the soil. It says that that, that God put Adam. In, in the garden and like said, hey, look, till up the soil, take care of the plants. You know, so he probably learned how to farm from his dad. So it was, 
It, it was good. He said, nothing wrong with being a farmer, no more than there's anything wrong with being a shepherd, right? So it's all good. But what the problem was is that, that Abel's sacrifice was seen as acceptable, but Cain's was not. Because Cain brought some vegetables up to the altar and said, hey, man, here, like, here's my offering. Here's what I produced. And, 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 and you're like, well, what's, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with, I mean, he produced crops, so why can't he bring his crops to the Lord? And why can't that be an acceptable sacrifice? That's what he had, right? So that's what he had, so that's what he brought. It ain't, it ain't about that, okay? It, it really ain't about that. Because I've been, I was in, the last time I was in Haiti before the time that we just went, I saw people that like, they would bring like eggs and carrots and stuff and put it in the offering basket and that's what would go up to the front. You know, here we put, you know, dollar bills, some of y'all put change or whatever, but like in Haiti, people would, would put stuff like eggs or carrots or whatever they had to offer. They would put that up there to the Lord and, and they would say, this is my offering to the church and this is what I want to give. There's nothing wrong with that, Okay. But I want you to understand something here. That the, the whole deal is, is that Abel gave a, a sacrifice that was seen as a righteous sacrifice. And Cain did not. Cain knew what an acceptable sacrifice was to give to the Lord. You say, how, well, how did he know that? How, how did he know that? Because the Lord had prescribed a way for you to bring sacrifices to him. Now, I know that because God, in, in, in his plan, in his perfect plan, there's a couple of ways that we know that, I think. One is that it says that, that, that Abel was counted righteous because of his sacrifice. Now, God is not going to make some kind of arbitrary rules and say, I like yours, but I don't like yours. God would have to have prescribed a way for you to offer sacrifices for, to him for him to look at Abel's and says, yours is good, Cain, yours is not, I'm sorry, it's not. God would not have just arbitrarily said, I like this one, I don't like this one, too bad, so sad, you're out of luck. See, God sets a standard. God sets the standard and says, this is the way that you're supposed to do things. This is where your trust is supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to come to me. That there has to be a blood sacrifice in order for that to happen. How do you know that? How do you know that? Do you remember when, when, when uh, Adam and Eve, when they committed sin, do you remember when, when they had eaten of the tree of knowledge and, and like sin entered into the world. Do you remember what happened? So they were naked and they were ashamed and they made some fig leaves to cover themselves. Everybody knows that little picture like Adam and Eve all like this, you know, because they were afraid, ashamed of their nakedness and, and you know, they had little fig leaves and stuff and all that, right? So we've seen those pictures. But what happened after they, they had that, that uh, sin entered into the world? It says that, that God made clothes for them. God made clothes for them out of animal skins. Well, how did God make clothes out of animal skins? He had to kill an animal, right, in order to be able to take the skins. And I think this is a very clear indication that God showed that the way to cover sin had to be through the death and the shedding of blood, that that was the only way that sin could be covered. Is, is that there had to be a way for, for Adam and Eve, to be, their sin to be covered. And the only way that that could be done was through the shedding of blood by the sacrificing of this animal. And then the skins were taken to cover their nakedness and their shame. And I believe that God was demonstrating that. But I also believe that he, in, in his plan, in his demonstrating of how to do things, how to have fellowship with him, how to come to God, the acceptable way to come to God, I believe that he had to prescribe to Adam and Eve and to their children, he had to show them that the way that you come to me is through the sacrifice and the shedding of blood is the only acceptable way to come to me. Now it's okay, listen, it's okay to give to give rice and vegetables and, and all of that kind of stuff to the Lord as an offering, okay? But the first way you have to come, the first way you come is with the blood sacrifice. That's the acceptable sacrifice is the first way to come. And not only that, um, Abel also gave the firstborn, the purest, the, the best of what he had. And, and, and Cain knew this. Cain knew this. He knew that there was a way that you're supposed to come to the Lord. 
Now, what, what does God's Word say in John 14, 15? Does anybody happen to know? This, you want to memorize a Bible verse, memorize this one. It's a good one. Cast, do you happen to know? You're looking at me like you know. If you love me, keep my commandments. She knows that because that's one of my favorite Bible verses. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say, right? So, so Abel was demonstrating his love for the Lord because he is keeping the way that God said, this is an acceptable way to come to me. He's demonstrating his love for the Lord by doing what he said. Abel is dem- or Cain is demonstrating his rebellion against the Lord by not doing what the Lord has prescribed, what the Lord has said, what the Lord has commanded. He's saying, no, I'm not going to do it your way, Lord. I'm going to do it my way. Now, that sounds a lot like sin, doesn't it? That sounds a whole heck of a lot like sin when you say, nope, not your way, Lord, but my way. And then what happens when you say that? You're putting yourself in the place of God. You're saying, I know a better way than God knows, so I'm going to do it this way, not the way God said to do it. And that's exactly what we see going on here with Cain. That's exactly the the trap that Adam and Eve fell into is when they said, I know that you said not to eat of this tree. I know that you said not to do it this way, but I know a better way. And you elevate yourself to the position of God. And you say, I'm going to be God. God, you take a lesser position in my life. And that is exactly what Cain is doing here. Now, what else... What else is happening here? So he brought that, that offering to the Lord. So Cain, he, he messes up, okay? Let's, let's say, all right, I messed up. Cain has an invitation from the Lord, doesn't he? He says, why do you look so angry? Yeah, uh, okay. What is God saying every time he asks a question? What is he doing? Some of y'all have been in civil church like forever. So what is God doing every time he asks a question? Kimberly, what is he doing? He's giving an invitation, right? He's giving an invitation. That's exactly what he's doing. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Like God didn't know why Cain was angry. Why are you angry? I don't have any idea. No, he's giving Cain an opportunity here. That's what he's doing. Why do you look so dejected? Why are you angry? Why are you so upset? Why do you look down on yourself? Listen to what he said. You'll be accepted if you do what is right. What is God doing here? G-R-A-C-E. Grace. He's giving him grace. He's saying, you have got a chance to turn this around. Cain, I know that you did it the wrong way the first time. I know that you didn't get it right. I know that you knew the right way, but you rebelled against it. And because of that, your sacrifice wasn't accepted. But listen, if you turn around right now and you turn towards my way and what I have commanded, the prescribed way to come to me through the shedding of blood, then you will be accepted too. He says, but if you go a different way, Cain, if you go another way, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is crouching at the door. Some imagery right there, right? Like like sin is just around the corner ready to pounce on you. Ready to to jump on you. And the reality is that when sin is just around the corner, when sin is, is crouching at the door, it's right here in our minds, right? Isn't that the first place all sin starts? Right in your mind, right? In that the, before you ever commit a sin or act out a sin, it all starts right here, right? Sin is crouching at the door. Sin is just right there in the back of your mind, ready, ready to, to, to pounce, ready for you to, to follow the path of sin. Look what he goes on to say. He says, If you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. That's the way sin works, right? So it starts out as a thought. Then it manifests itself and and becomes action. And before long, it not only just becomes what you do, it becomes who you are, right? It becomes a lifestyle. It becomes a pattern for your life. Eager to control you. But you must subdue it. You must become its master. 
He's talking about in the brain. You have an opportunity right now to not let sin control you, to not let sin take over in your life. You have an opportunity to turn and turn towards the right way. And God gives us this opportunity over and over again in our own lives. He's sitting there. Like even right now, there are sins in your life that you are thinking about, that you are thinking about stepping into, things that you know that you've done maybe yesterday, maybe six hours ago. I don't know. But there are things that you have in your mind, and God has given you an invitation right at this moment. He says, you have an opportunity right now. That no matter what you have done in the past, you've got a chance to turn towards my way. If you don't, sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you. You've got to subdue it, and you've got to become its master. It doesn't need to become a master over you. You've got to subdue it in such a way that, that, that you become the master over it, that you become the master of what's going on in your brain and in your heart. You've got a chance to do it. Is that what Cain did? Is that what Cain did? God offered him grace. And he says, immediately, it goes on the next verse. As one day Cain suggests to his brother, let's go out into the fields. Hey, Abel, younger brother, let's go out into the fields. He knew at the moment that he asked his brother out into the fields what he was about to do. You know, another way that I, I know that, 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 that Cain knew that a sacrifice was supposed to be a blood sacrifice, that a, blood, a, a sacrifice was supposed to come through something dying, do you know how I know that? Because up until this point, up until this point, the only things that would have died would have been the sacrifices. Murder has never happened before. Cain had to learn how to kill something somewhere. The only place that he would have known how to kill something is if they were offering blood sacrifices to the Lord. So now he knows how to commit murder. He's seen animals killed before, so he knows the blows that it takes. He knows the right places to cut in order for something to die. So he says, come on, Abel. Let's go out into the fields. Knowing full well what he's about to do. Sin's not crouching at the door anymore. It's, it's full on become his master. It says Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? What is the Lord doing here? Giving him another invitation. Giving Cain another invitation. I know what you've done already. Do you think that the Lord, the sovereign Lord of the universe, the one who created every single thing in this world, doesn't know where Cain's brother is? He doesn't know where Abel is? Of course he knows. Of course he knows what has happened. But he's giving Cain another invitation to confess to the Lord what has happened, to say, look, this is what I did, and I take full responsibility for it because this is what I did rebelling against you. God is giving him another invitation, and he's just killed his brother, and supposedly he doesn't even know that God even knows this. All he knows is that that he's asking a question that he must not know. And God's simply giving him another invitation for him to come to the Lord and say, I have done this. I have not done it your way. I have not loved my brother like I should have, even though I had jealousy for him. Look at the things that are in Cain's life that point to the fact that that he, he knows what he should do, but he's rebelling against. He's got jealousy in his heart. He's got murder in his heart. He's got all of these things that are against the ways of God. His, his younger brother's just going along, and he's like, okay, you want to go out into the fields? Okay. He, I mean, he's, he's not even looking at his brother like, I'm not going out into the fields with you. You don't even know how to offer sacrifices to the Lord. You don't know the right way to do things. Why would I go where you want me to go? He's not doing that. He just goes. Because he's full of trust, and he's full of love, and he's full of compassion. And he just, all right, you want to go to the fields? That's fine. Let's go. And the Lord 
gives Cain another opportunity. Shows him more grace. G or A C E. Shows him more grace and says, Where's your brother? Where'd he go? Where's Abel? Where's your younger brother? What does Cain do? I don't know. I don't know. Am I my mother's guardian? You ever said that in your parents? I don't know where she is. Am I her keeper? I don't know. I think it started all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. I don't know. I don't know. He has a chance to repent, come to the Lord, confess his sin before the Lord. Instead, he chooses another way. Instead, he tries to cover over it, act like it didn't really happen, that he's had no part in what's transpired. And it is a lie. Once again, another sin against God, which shows the evidence of what is truly in his heart. I don't know what's happened to him. Am I his guardian? Do I keep track of him? What does the Lord do? So we've obviously we saw God give him an invitation, said, Hey, you can you can come to me. Why are you angry? Why are you despondent? You know, you you can do it the right way. Come on, let me give you a chance. He doesn't do that. He doesn't give him the right sacrifice. Where is your brother? Where's Abel? What happened to Abel? I don't know. I ain't got a clue. Another chance. So what do we see here? A third time, the Lord pushes a little bit closer on Cain and says, what have you done? The Lord even pushes Cain a little further and says, you've done something. What have you done? Another opportunity, another invitation for Cain. What have you done? I know that you have done something. Just tell me what it is that you've done. It says, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And there's punishment. There's punishment that results from his sin. Because all sin has to be punished. Listen, you were cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield your good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord. Listen to what he says. Listen to the response. See if this sounds like a response to sin that you've heard before. My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. It's too much for me to bear. He doesn't look at the Lord and say, please forgive me. I know what I've done and I know that I've sinned against you and against you alone. No. He says, my conscience is killing me. It's just eating me alive. It's terrorizing me. But does he do anything about it? Does he do anything to come back to the Lord? Does he do anything to repent of his sin? Does he offer a blood sacrifice now to say, you know what? I messed up before, but now, Lord, I'm coming back to you. And I want to I I make this right. And I want to get close to you again because I desire to be with you. I desire to follow your commandments because I love you. I want to do what you command. I want to do it the right way now. You don't see any of that, do you? What, is, what does Cain say? I feel bad. I feel bad, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk away from you. Lord, being close to you makes me feel bad, so I'm going somewhere else. You ever know anybody to do that? Coming to church, we talk about sin. We talk about the things that that break the heart of God. Nah, I don't want any part of that. I'm going to go somewhere else where I don't have to hear that garbage. 
Kenny, you preach too hard, man. You talk about sin and how it, how it breaks down this communication line with God and how, how it's, it, yes, it convicts you, but it's more than that. It's about your relationship with God that is damaging, how you're quenching the spirit of God. I don't like to hear that mess, man. You're making me feel bad. I don't like to come to church and feel bad. I like to come to church and feel good and walk out of the church so I can eat my lunch and feel better. I like going to to Chick-fil-A on Wednesday nights and be able to eat my nuggets. I don't like to think about the fact that my sin is destroying my relationship with God. What are you doing, man? Can't you make us feel good? Just the Word of God is what it says. The Word of God and what it says. Man, look at the beauty of what has happened, though. God is over and over and over giving these invitations to Cain. Come on, man. Come to me. Come to me. You've got a choice. You can do it the right way. If you love me, you'll do it the way I prescribed. I know you've done something wrong, but come to me. I know you didn't do it the way I said it. Come to me. I know you're angry. Come to me. I know you killed your brother. Come to me. I know you've done something. Come to me. It's like God is sitting here begging for for Cain to come to him. And all all Cain sees is the fact that he feels guilty, so he's going somewhere else. You know what should make you feel good? It's the fact that God is repeating over and over and over to to you, come to me. Come to me. That should make you feel so good. You should be able to walk on cloud nine that God is continuing to give you these invitations for you to simply come to him. To, 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 to make it right now. How is that? How, is, how do we make it right now? How do, how do we come to God now? Through a blood sacrifice. Through a blood sacrifice. The ultimate blood sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The ultimate blood sacrifice, the perfect lamb, the firstborn of the one true God of the universe. Come to him through that name, that name that you haven't said but maybe twice this month outside the content, confines of this building. Come to God that way. It's the only acceptable way. Through that sacrifice. There are a ton of people that believe in God. There are a ton of people that that, that believe that going to church is the way that you get to God. That's not the way that you get to God. You get to God by going through Jesus Christ, His Son. And that only happens through your faith in Jesus Christ. And you come to God and say, I have nothing to offer, Lord. All I have to do is I have to put my faith and my trust in the blood sacrifice that was made for me. And now because of that sacrifice, Jesus Christ, now I can come to you. It's nothing that I have done, but it is everything that Jesus Christ has done. That is the only way I can come to you. This is anybody that Listen to this, y'all. Listen to this. He says, anyone that, that, that finds me will kill me because of what I have done. Because I've done it the wrong way time and time and time again. He says, anybody, anybody that finds me, they're going to kill me because of what I've done. One more offer of grace. God says, it's not enough that I've offered you this grace time and time again. I'm going to do it one more time. The Lord says, no. For I will give, you a, give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cable to warn anyone who might kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And, and the land of Nod literally means the wandering land. But here's the thing. Cain says, everybody else is going to have animosity towards me everybody else is going to want to kill me everybody else is going to have anger built up against me because I have done this against you and they're having to suffer as a result of everything that I've done against you God says no no he's going to be patient with Cain 
I really believe that this is an indication that he's giving Cain the rest of his life to come to the Lord and do it the right way. I believe that he's saying, you know what? You're not going to die a premature death. That's not the way it's going to happen. Nobody's going to inflict upon you the punishment that you inflicted upon your brother because you had jealousy. It's not going to happen that way. I'm going to show you more grace and give you more opportunities to come to me. And he is still pouring out grace on Cain. And that's the kind of God that you and I serve. It's crazy, right? It's weirdo, freakazoid thing that, that we believe, which is that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the perfect sacrifice. And if you think you can get to the Lord by coming to church, if you think you can get to the Lord by believing in some other God, by, by pretending to be a Christian, and it's not through your faith in Jesus Christ in such a way that every single thing about you is geared towards that blood sacrifice. Every single thing that, that is in your mind about how you get to God comes through that perfect blood sacrifice. God's given you grace and given you one more opportunity. God put this message on my heart so that God's grace could be poured out on you, so that you could, you could be a recipient of that grace. And he says, okay, it's on you now. What are you going to do with it? You're going to come to me now? I've given you invitations. You're going to come to me now? I put things on your mind as, as the message was going along. I, I put things on your heart that you need to repent of, and so you come to me. Will you come to me now? We call this an invitation. It's a time for you to respond to God and just say, God, there's nothing I can do, but it's everything that you can do. Will you come to him? Let's pray. Father, you've spoken truth to us. God, you've used these Old Testament figures, these Old Testament characters to show us the picture of what it means to come to you and the fact that you've continued to pour out grace over and over and over and over again on us. Whether you continue to give us opportunity after opportunity. There may be somebody here who's never surrendered their heart and life to Jesus Christ and they know that the preoccupation of their life is not Jesus Christ, it's everything else. That they have elevated themselves to the place of God so that they choose their way and not your way. And the truth is that they don't love you because they don't obey your commandments. And they know that in their heart. And you have given them an opportunity tonight to come to you. You have given them one more chance to say, God, my way is not the right way. Your way is the right way. And I thank you for that grace that you have shown them tonight. And then there are Christ followers, people that are trying their best to pursue you. God, and you put things on their heart tonight. You've shown them things that they need to repent of and they need to turn towards you. God, you've given them, them grace. God, you've, you've poured out your son's blood and, and they've believed in that and they've trusted in that. But God, they need to come to you now. God, you're, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we'll simply confess them to you. So Lord, I pray that we do that tonight. God, just we simply look at sin. This whole message is about sin and, and it's about grace. God, but we would not see it. We would not see it, God, as you beating us up with the reality of our sin. But God, instead, it's a beautiful picture of your love for us by giving us opportunities to come to you because your way truly is better. God, we know that our way will continue to lead to us being controlled by sin and it will become our master. But your way is the only true way. So may we come through Jesus Christ. May we repent of our sins and come to you. Be glorified now as we acknowledge our desperate need for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody stand.